you could not say, I'm just like everybody else. I put my pants on one leg at a time. Now you could say, listen, I'm on the Forbes 30 to 30. Somebody else puts my <laughs> pants on one leg at a time. Butterscotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 162 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games program. And I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is July 30. 2018. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, and uh, we're just going to talk about all kinds of stuff that mm-hmm. kids don't care about. Mm-hmm. So if you're a kid, just get on out. Get on outside. Protect your childhood. Don't grow up yet. Go outside and, and play with some sticks. Uh, also, Adam is gone. He is in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a sweet new tattoo. We haven't seen pictures of it yet, though. Like on him. Oh, yeah. Finished. Yeah. We saw some early stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to see. It's a science tat. So we'll hear about this. Um, it was funny though, because because he was talking about it, and he's like, "Yeah, he's he's like, yeah, they got most of it wrong." <laughs> yeah, because it's it's like formulas and chemical cotton. But it does look really fucking cool. Yeah. Um. So we kind of saw the early stuff with like Saran wrap on. You know, mm-hmm. like you gotta you gotta really take care of your tats, uh, especially in those early days. But yeah, so we'll hear some more about that mm-hmm. when he gets back. Um. Otherwise, I want to first thank our supporters on Ko-Fi, which you can find over at moneygrab.biscotch.net. Um, It'll never get old. Yeah, so I want to especially thank uh, Cathal from this week, who said, I look forward to this podcast every single week. Thank you for hours of advice, insight, and entertainment. So it's very nice. Thanks. appreciate that. Um, we also have uh, uh, some recurring subscribers, since now that we've had our money grab going long enough mm-hmm. that we now have some uh, some people who have signed up for recurring uh, donations, which is fantastic, and we appreciate that a lot. So, yeah, thank you guys very much. All right, on to some industry news. Steam. Steam has streaming. Yeah. For developers. Yeah, so there's this really interesting thing, uh, and I only found out about this last week, I think, because there's an article that came out in the industry uh, that was about the game Everspace. So for those who haven't seen it, uh, it's a super gorgeous 3D spaceship flying game uh, where you it's a roguelike. So you have this cool ship and you go around and blow stuff up. And the game goes from being, you know, sort of like a really fun arcadey thing to a just tough as nails. Like you got to really know how to fly this ship to stay alive for more in a minute. And naturally, then they have this pretty good, you know, small streaming community that's come out of this where there's people they call them just pilots, right, who are mm-hmm. really, really good at the game. And so... As part of the summer sale, uh, Steam had opened up this ability for de- developers to actually basically post a stream to their game page. So in other words, like if you went to see uh, Crashlands, for example, we could actually link directly to a particular streamer's uh, Twitch stream during that time. And then anybody who landed on the page would just see it right there. And yeah. so this, uh, of course, naturally is a really good way both for streamers to get extra visibility because there's so many people floating around the Steam store. But then it's a huge way for developers to uh, showcase the stuff about their game that you can't really get at in maybe like a minute or two trailer. And this is a problem we've always had, which is that uh, games are what we call an experienced good, which means you cannot know the value of it until you do it, until you try the thing. Right. And so that's why demos tend to be a popular thing and that that sort of idea. And so even seeing a trailer, oftentimes you can't quite figure out, like, am I going to enjoy this? It looks cool. Yeah, because everything about a trailer... Well, it's like when we when we played the Shenana Jam games, mm-hmm. we played them for like 45 minutes. And most of what we did was we were being very boring. Yeah. We were trying to figure out how to play them, you know, whatever. And then 
Then we cut out all the all the bad stuff. See, so we from forty five minutes down to nine. Nine minutes, yeah. So we cut it down by eighty percent or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and that's usually what you get a trailer, right? Yeah. And so in a trailer, like no no game is always just a a, a know, hoot a hoot at every mm-hmm. single second. There's all kinds of things where you're sitting there and you're trying to figure things out. You know, whatever. Maybe you're looking at UIs. Maybe you're moving crap around in your bags. Right. Nobody's putting that in a trailer. Yeah. And so this this natural place for the streaming window to just kind of like pop up and be there right in front of this game apparently uh, made Everspace have their best week ever since launch. And they've been out for like a year and a half or two, I think, at this point. Yeah. And they've been still adding stuff to the game, of course. So they've had plenty of updates and, and plenty of opportunities and also another summer sale that they participated in to have what you know could have been a better thing. And they found that basically having that large audience watching this stream made people you – know, you'd stay on the page for longer because you're like, oh, well. I'll watch this dude who's really, really good at this game just fly this ship around, do cool stuff, and maybe you know get an idea about how I can do it. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's something to be said about that kind of social proof in games where yeah. when you see somebody who has accomplished something really big or who's clearly really good, then you get in your mind this idea of like I want to maybe I, I want to be that yeah. person. You yeah. Know? So I think this is the same thing as you know in uh, in MMOs you see somebody walking around with like the badass raiding gear mm-hmm. on the crazy mount that only 1% of people have and you're like I, I want that mm-hmm. right Gives or you something to aspire to. Yeah, yeah, or like the Kerbal Space program, they've got their their uh, Reddit community and every day there's hundreds of posts of people like look at this thing I made yeah. and then it's thousands of people being like oh shit, I want to try to build that, <laughs> right? Right. So I think it's a, it's a really cool thing and so and it clearly works as far as like pushing units goes. And yeah, so yeah. Uh, and then I saw this weekend was I think Super Giants like seven. I can't remember how many year anniversary. I think seven. Seven year anniversary. Eight, ten years. Ten years, I think. Because we're coming up on our sixth and they were out before us. So That's true. Yeah, I think it was their 10 year anniversary. And so uh, they did uh, streaming all weekend. Like their actual dev team sat down and played Bastion and then played Transistor and then played Pyre. And – that's their three sort of, you know, giant games. And and it's just the dev team doing it and then chatting the whole time about, oh, like, here's this one weird thing about making this particular system or whatever else. And so they played through all the games. And uh, I think the the first day I watched, they had like maybe 400, 500 people watching. And then by the end of it, I, pop, I popped in on the middle of the second day, they had like 2,400 people watching. Shit. <laughs> because it's like, this is the thing. Like, it's, just, it's a really cool thing to see, you know, the devs talk about their game and just actively be playing and having a good time. Yeah. So. So I, I don't know what this means exactly, but I, I do know that the Everspace team ended up by the end of the summer sale because they saw the conversion was so high. Uh, they ended up contracting streamers full time to just play, just play it. literally for that 24 hour every single day, like a 24 hours of coverage. Right? It's like a, it was like a 24 hour news channel situation where they're like just Everspace just all the yep. time. <laughs> so, it's so apparently it was a bit of a crazy, you know, logistics thing to do. But uh, but it's really interesting. It's this question of like what's going to happen on launches now. With games that are you know well supported on Steam, uh, you know will like will we when we go ahead and launch Levelhead? Is that going to be a thing where we'll sit down for like the first I don't know eight hours or so, just play it and just play it in front of people and talk about it? Because um, I think that'd be super cool. It's super fun. So it's also really nice because devs don't get a chance, unlike people who are in other uh, art artistic forms, especially something like music. You don't get a chance to perform. We don't go on tour. Yeah. In front of a crowd. Yeah. We don't come out on stage and play our own games. Exactly. And so it's, it's kind of a weird, it, to me, it feels like a stage in a sense, like a local stage for you actually getting to play your game as a dev. And so if you got an entertaining personality, I think it'd be good. So I think I I would personally want to try it and see what happens. Uh, Even the launch day will be insane, but yeah. Okay. Now this has got me thinking because I also wonder about, about the value of, because when we were working on Crashlands, we did some developer uh, Q&A stuff. And this was with a closed 
group when we were doing our beta test. We basically invited all of our beta testers into sort of like a Google Hangout thing. And we just talked about the game and, and took questions from people um, and took, you know, ideas. And just mm-hmm. we just – it was like an hour long just chat about about this current status of the game. And so I'm kind of wondering um, if there would be merit in before a game comes out, yeah, streaming probably. on your developer page, playing the game, talking about what's currently happening, take questions from people about, you know, how it's going to go mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, yeah, that might be a really interesting thing to do. Yeah. We'll have to think about that. See something on that, I'm sure, later. Yeah. Um, also, this past weekend, Pixel Pop. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. Local. A local convention. It's a local St. So, Louis thing. Yeah. So I think it was the fourth year doing it. Um, very well run. Very cool. So we went down. It keeps getting better. Yeah. It was at, so it was at St. Louis University, which is actually kind of down the street from the office. And so uh, all of us showed up on Saturday and just kind of wandered around and schmoozed. That was my sort of – my personal aim in Pixel Pop was – there's going to be like 50 devs there because they had a great demo floor. And so it was just walk around and talk to people and see kind of what's going on. And yeah, the the sheer number of people there and then also just the overall quality of stuff is going up and up and up every single year, which is super exciting to see. So we got to meet quite a few people. And it's also funny because you meet people who know about the studio. So, of course, we're wearing our, our studio shirts and stuff. Yeah, you got to uh, rep the brand. Yeah. You know? it's so Stay on um, brand. It was really fun just to talk to people who were like, oh, I saw your uh, – Mike is like – I met a guy who – uh, had seen the GDC talk about Crashlands, and he was like, "If you're who I think you are, I need to say thank you for that." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, thank you." you know, that was just playing his game. So yeah. um, there were quite a few moments there that were kind of special in that in that particular way. So it was it was a really nice, little heartwarming. Segment. Yeah, I just I was I was happy to just get get out there and just meeting some of the people who are from the area and just kind of see what's happening mm-hmm. out there. Because I think you know a lot of us as developers, we kind of go into our caves. Yeah, and we're just working on stuff, and you know there there are events happening. Like uh, there's a monthly game developer drink up mm-hmm. here where every third or uh, first second Thursday of every month, I, I think, think so, yeah. um, developers all go get together at a particular bar and just chat about stuff. But just because of scheduling and stuff, you know, it, it rarely works out that any of us can can mm-hmm. go. Um, and oftentimes we might be you know putting in some extra hours one night. To yeah. work on something and then we miss the event, you know, and so. Yeah, especially with when you have these random, because of how sort of organically our process works, we just don't know what the hell's going to be happening even like this Thursday. So. Yeah, so just all of a sudden we're like, oh shit. Yeah, or it might be the case, coming now. Yeah, or it might be the case that you worked, you know, two 13-hour days Monday and Tuesday and you're just like, I need to not. Yeah, you know, I'm going to Thursday go lay night. down and moan. Yeah. That's so my was, whole Thursday plan. Yeah, so it's super <laughs> nice to get out there and, uh, and go talk to people because I think that that network effect is huge with all this stuff, which is just. Being able to bounce your ideas off people and then also just, I think, you know, commiserate in a, in a real way. Like feel like you're in the trenches together with people is super fun. So, yeah. yeah. And honestly, I think the the quality of the games that are being demoed as well, it's it's going up. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think everybody's learning. We've got also like more people coming in from outside, probably mm-hmm. seeing seeing the quality from past years going up right. and, and just like much better stuff on the on the show floor. Um, yeah, so I think everybody who demoed a Pixel Pop, you should be proud. Yeah, it was cool. great. It was a great thing. It was really cool to see see all that stuff. Um, also, one last piece of news before we get on to some questions. So I did uh, uh, streamed uh, game development last Saturday. Going to be doing it again this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to come by, that's over at our channel at twitch.tv slash bscotch. It's going to be 8 a.m. to noon uh, central time. Mm-hmm. So get whatever that- morning cereal, you know. Or if it's evening toast, cereal for evening you. toast, mm-hmm. uh, evening eggs and ham, what, whatever you got. Uh, yeah, uh, somehow eggs has become the breakfast food. I don't know. They're good all the time. I eat them basically constantly. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, that's been that's been a super fun thing. I'm working on a, a weird game called Space Bump, just like a fly around in space and explore, basically remaking Eve Online. Mm-hmm. You uh, know, just a casual Saturday activity. Uh, yeah, uh, so it's going to be our first MMO, and <laughs> I'm making it by myself, mm-hmm. and we're not going to sell it. So perfect. Yeah. Uh, and also, nobody's going to play it. All right. <laughs> let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get on to a future episode, get over there, put your questions in the text box. Let's get started. Yeah. First question comes from Anonymous Sam. Hmm. You're, in, you're in Forbes 30 under 30. How's it feel? It feels. Question. It felt. I guess it's. Just, yeah. So it, how did it feel? How did it feel? It felt at the moment. It was like, wow, this is very it's good. I feel very honored. I feel feels, good. Yeah, it feels good. And then now it feels just like normal. I'm just, it's just life. You're just still yourself. Yeah. And so nothing this, has really changed. Exactly. So there's this, <laughs> this is actually a huge, uh, a huge thing with human beings. There's a bit of a problem here, which is that humans are really bad at what's called affective forecasting. So can mm, I guess how try, I'm going to yeah. feel? Trying to future. determine how you will feel about something. Mm-hmm. Which is why if you think about uh, maybe, you know, something negative in your life, where you're like, oh, well, you know, I want to break up with this person, but it's going to be so hard. Or like, oh, I want to move jobs, but it's going to be so hard and I'm going to be so sad for so long. No, probably Turns not. Turns out it's probably, it's fine. Yeah. So, it sucks a little bit at the beginning and then it's fine. Yeah. So most people have this sort of equilibrium state that they just kind of are. And you can actually, you can. Well, humans are very adaptive. Very adaptive. Yeah. And so, but the thing is, you you almost always just return right back to that. Within a very short period of time. Um, well, this is this is true of people who have had, um, you know, major accidents. Maybe they've lost yeah. a limb or something, yeah. and they, you know, they first think like, "Oh my god, everything is ruined." Actually, I just listened to um, uh, TED Radio Hour. They're talking about the senses and stuff, and mm-hmm. about blindness and things. And and there were these people who were talking about that in an early age, maybe in their you know teens, they discovered they would have some kind of degenerative retina thing uh-huh. or something, and they would know that ten years from now they would be blind, right? And they talk about how their initial thought was like, my life is completely ruined. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no way that I'm going to recover from this. And then when it when it happens, then they're like, eh. And then they just go and they get a PhD or become a lawyer <laughs> and they just like continue living it's life fine. and they just don't. Yeah. Right. Um, and they're they're very happy and very successful, right? Right. So, yeah, we always, we always like really over forecast both how good and how yes. bad uh, things are going to be for us. Yeah. And the, and the reality is like if you're – it's the, really just that question of what's your base level of overall happiness or sort of sense of personal respect for yourself or whatever else. So that hasn't changed at all for me as a result of the Forbes thing. Um, I don't think it probably will change for most people. And and we haven't had any super interesting opportunities open up yet because of it. I certainly got a lot of LinkedIn requests from from wealth advisors who were like, hey – you probably have some money. <laughs> if you're in this Forbes list, you must be rolling in your Scrooge McDuck so, money yeah. pit. So that was the only thing that happened, which was a little annoying. But it's just an interesting point, which is if you the, – the better thing to do is just to focus on those – what are those daily things you can do that just raise that equilibrium point a little bit? You yeah. Know? Because the reality is you're always going to come back to that, which is it's also kind of reassuring. Well, and, and I think, you know, the good feelings in life and all the happiness, it, it doesn't come from having something. It comes from doing something, mm-hmm. right? And so having – this honor bestowed upon you is nice, but it also changes nothing about the fact that you still got to go pull weeds in your garden. You still yep. got to put your pants on. Mm-hmm. You still got to go to work. You still got to do literally everything. If I had a, a pants valet, if that would came if, standard. Yeah, if, all, if even all they did was just- if all send, they could do. If all they, you know, the least they could do is send a person to your house to put your pants on. Yeah. I feel like a champion that every way, day. That way, <laughs> when you could, you could not say, I'm just like everybody else. I put my pants on one leg at a time. Now you could say, listen- 
I'm on the Forbes 30 to 30. Somebody else puts my pants on <laughs> one leg at a time. Or we could do that thing where you have two pants valets and then you backflip into your pants. I've seen videos of that on YouTube yeah. before. There were pants is, valets. That is one of the minimum standards for Forbes 30 to 30 is you need to be able to backflip into pants. Really, yeah. Pant entry is sort of one of the subtle factors that they look for, which is like, does this person somehow leap with velocity into their clothes? <laughs> into pants. Because everyone knows that's a sign of, you know, go-getting. Yeah. Yeah, and what they don't tell you too is like people think that 30 under 30 refers to that how many people are on the list and mm-hmm. how old they are. Um, really, it's it's how high you can leap and also how many attempts it takes you to get into pants. Yep, yeah. 30 That's, under 30. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. You have a 30-inch vertical and it needs to take you less than 30 tries to be able to get into your pants every day. Exactly. <laughs> So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah it's people a, really have misread what this list is. It's been an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it always feels good to have to be, I think, recognized. That's the thing, right? And, and everyone knows this in a job or a relationship. If someone, if you do the dishes or something, and someone's like, "Hey, thanks for doing the dishes," even if you do them every single day, it's like, "Dang, no yeah, problem." No problem. I, I did the shit out of those. Uh, so I think that's that's an interesting point, which is just you know, if if you know that there's someone uh, in your general circle uh, who does stuff for you or that somehow serves you in some capacity, uh, make sure you take a sec just to recognize them. Because honestly, like that was the biggest thing from it is just saying, oh, people have actually noticed. Like I know that the the YouTube video for the GDC talk has like 60,000 views or something, but I've heard from maybe like – That's just a number. That's just a number. I don't you know. don't know what the hell that means. Yeah, so I've heard from like a dozen people, which is like a crazy tiny percentage as far as temp- total number of people watch right, it versus right. each other. And so it's like, does it does this matter? Is anything I'm doing mattering? And then having the occasions where something – points out that like, hey, this maybe is kind of matters a little bit. It just feels like a nice little piece of appreciation. So it does. I, I personally, so I'm not, I'm not a very, I don't get very emotional about things mm-hmm. generally. Um, but yeah, when we got, when we got the game of the year uh, from Touch Arcade. Yeah. I was like, I basically just wept for a day. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had been, I had put every single thing that I had yeah. into like I dropped out of law school. I quit every single possible career path I had um, worked, you know, supported by my wife for years, helping my brother with mm-hmm. like getting through this cancer thing. Right. Um, and all the while making this game and like trying to learn and, and just like putting every single ounce of, of life and energy I have into this. And then to have somebody who, who really knows their shit, who like they've spent their whole life trying to decide what's a good game. Mm-hmm. Right. And then for them to tap our game and say, like, this is the game of the year. And I was just like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's an emotional time. It was. Yeah, it, it meant a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it also do, it makes you think of the team, actually. So so the weird, the funniest thing, I think, for me is just the fact that, like, the only reason I got it is because of Adam and Seth. And then, of course, sure, not being around doing a bunch of work. Um I just happened to be the youngest person in the room who founded the company. Right. So, so you, you were under 30 when they exactly <laughs> looked at the list. So it's also one of those things where you just it's you you have to recognize that any one of these people who's picked out also just there's a there's a large structure behind them most of the time that has propelled them in some way forward. So and I know there's this big brouhaha about uh, this declaration of self-madeness that I think Forbes made. They called someone self-made who's like came from a super wealthy family. And right. had all the connections. They need. I can't remember who it was. No one is self-made. Yeah, yeah you're just not really. Um, so you always have people behind you. So I think it's also just I mean, one of those even if you're coming, even if you're not coming from like a silver spoon kind of a, yeah. a background, um, there's a really good chance that like, yes, you will have worked your ass off. And then you will also have used your charisma to make friends yeah. and, and network and, and get people into your corner. And then you 
you know, you leverage those relationships right. to also help you get where you need to go. So yeah, so yeah. I think in that way it ends up being it ends up being a community award in a way, right? Where it's like this community or this group of people is sort of whatever, whether it's whether it's the family or the friends we've made here in St. Louis or whatever else, somehow managed to manufacture something as yeah. a group that stuck out, right? In a way that was really, really good. And actually so, kind of a similar thing. I know the uh, the McElroy brothers who do the mm-hmm. My Brother, My Brother and Me. So they had a similar thing, which is they're all, they're three brothers. They do a podcast. Um, and then uh, Griffin, Griffin, right? He's the youngest. youngest. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He got the 30 under 30 as well. And the other two were over 30. Because yep. <laughs> uh, it just, you know, it takes time to build up these, yeah. uh, you know, accomplishments and stuff. And then if somebody on your team is under 30, mm-hmm. then, yeah. That's obviously the go-to person for that list. So, but that's not to say it's not deserved because you did a lot. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, all right. Next question comes from John Pat Cap. Thanks for keeping me motivated while I push myself to learn as much as I can about the wizardry that is game development. Anyways, I'm really looking forward mm. to Levelhead. Assuming that it's going to be on mobile, I was curious about how you guys approach making the platforming feel satisfying using a touch-based interface. Thanks. Mm. So, yeah, so I guess to start with, we did our research. We downloaded probably 40 different top-rated mm-hmm. platformers on mobile. And played through just basically the question was in the first couple of minutes, can you actually adapt to the control scheme? So I think it's, it's one thing to keep in mind is especially on mobile because you have a pane of glass. No uh, tactile feedback. Yeah, you're not going to have like a default schema because there's not, it's not a controller, right? It's not a stuck-in-place thing. So – the question was not necessarily are they using a good control scheme that we can see immediately, but can but you can you learn it well? Learn it well, yeah. Um, and I think this this is something that we've noticed before with some of our previous games, which is they take they're always on mobile. It's always going to take a little bit of time to habituate Figure to whatever out, the yeah. whatever it is where the positions of the buttons exactly. are. So because you can't feel the damn things. So yeah. we played through a bunch of these, uh, took some notes, and then uh, just kind of end up. Doing something else. Doing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a big part of it was we found that none of them felt very responsive. Um, and they or, felt very easy to make mistakes on. Yeah, and in a way that felt more continuous than it should have been. Like the window we want for people to sort of feel like they have a handle on the controls is just a couple minutes of play. Yeah. Um, and I'm totally fine if people are a little bit confused during that where they're trying to like, where'd my thumbs go? But <laughs> uh, but once you can get – Can you a, adapt? Yeah, can you question. adapt? So do the buttons feel like they're in the right spot for whatever the actions are? And yeah, we came up with uh, basically these two T bars on either side of the screen. Well, I, th- I think there's there's two parts of this that that most mobile games they do in a very important way, which is like mm-hmm. one is they put buttons on the screen. Yeah, so they'll they'll put like a circle or something, and you got to put put your thumb, you got to tap on your it. thumb in the circle, and that's how you hit. It. So you're thinking about it like a controller. Mm-hmm. There are buttons on a controller. Now there's buttons on the screen. Buttons, buttons, buttons. Right, right? and then. Um, the second thing they do is they they use the buttons as almost like an exclusive touch where each thumb is only going to be pressing one button at a time, mm-hmm. right? So if you've got like a, a jump and a shoot button on the right side of the screen, then your thumb, you can either press onto the jump or press onto the shoot. But yeah. you, cannot jump, shoot. you cannot jump and shoot, which is something you could do. On a handheld controller. Because you can use like the middle of your thumb to press a button and then the tip of your thumb to press another yeah. button. Yeah. So, so we – I don't know I don't know what people call that. We call it thumb rolling mm-hmm. where you kind of like you, – you're holding one button and you kind of roll your thumb over mm-hmm. to hit a, a different button, which has generally thought to not be feasible uh, on 
mobile controls. But guess what? Well, guess what? We did it. We did it. So, <laughs> well, I want to go back to the screen region thing real quick. Yeah. So, so I so think we'll talk about buttons first. Yeah. So the the problem with thinking about the device as one that has buttons is that it does not have buttons. So quit, so, quit putting buttons on. Yeah, quit putting buttons on it because the reality is, uh, when you think about a touch screen, the nice thing about it is you can touch it anywhere. You can just go all over the place, and that also means that if you want people to be able to adapt to uh, a control scheme really quickly, having them have to look at precisely where a button is placed in order to hit it with their thumb while they're also trying to look at the game uh, is a bit too much of a big ask. So we think about it in terms of screen regions instead. So this is the benefit of it. Like if a, if a controller just had four sort of sort of amorphous chunks on the sides that you touched that were huge uh, in order to do the very so you can touch anywhere and it would read based on sort of where you were at. So in our case, we split the, the left side of the screen into these three different regions where if you're above a certain place, anywhere above that certain place, then you will press left or right. Oh yeah, sorry, no, left or right. Yeah. So if you're above a certain line, then you'll um, there's another divider that says that sections it into left and right. Yeah. And then if you're anywhere in that whole giant zone of left and rightness, whether it's super close to the divider or super far away, then you'll go left or right. Still fine. So you don't need to have be super accurate, which is important. And then if you want to go, if you want to duck or like fall through a platform, then you just slide your finger down until the character ducks because there's a there's another region down there for that. Yeah. And then that schema is basically mirrored on the other side with the three different actions you can do. This is, can, and this is where the thumb rolling gets very important. Right. Because what we found is that uh, we played a bunch of Super Mario to try to figure out like, okay, they have, they actually have very basic platforming, but it sort of spawns this combinatorial explosion of moves. So in reality, you only have, you have crouch. You can, of course, run around uh, and then you can jump and that's it. Yeah. So you you basically have these four things, but because of the fact that you can combo them together in different ways. Via thumb rolling. Via thumb rolling, then you end up having uh, this situation where you have this blowout of ability. So, so for like, example. Grab a, grab a turtle shell, jump in the air, and it's variable jump, right? So you need mm-hmm. to hold the jump button the whole time and hold the grab button the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then release the shell while continuing to jump, mm-hmm. right? So something like that. Or you have the case where, okay, if you want to crouch you crouch first and then jump, now you're going to perform this super dope backflip thing that yeah. goes super high. And so you end up taking these just couple of buttons and you just smash them all together a bunch of different ways to make a full, like very rich control scheme. Uh, versus a lot of games nowadays actually just have like dedicated buttons. They're like, you want to do a backflip? Hit Y, you know, whatever else. And so you end up having what feels like more mastery come out of this game naturally because of the combination. So that was the big question was, can we get that to go? With the with the thumbs on the pane of yeah. glass, the answer is yes. So how did it go? So so the way the way we the way we solved this is stop thinking about these as buttons, right? Because mm-hmm. when because with a button press on mobile, what you typically do is whenever whenever your thumb sort of like comes off the screen and then goes back onto the screen, the device reads that as a click, like as a, as an initial click, right? And we said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do what the device normally does. Instead, we're just going to say, it's like, let's say you you tap on the jump button and you want to keep jumping because it's variable. So you got to hold it, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to keep jumping. And then while you're jumping up, you want to fire out your grappler to, mm-hmm. to grab something, right? So you maybe like there's an in-air catch situation. Yeah, you right? want to be able to jump and catch a box that's being flung off mm-hmm. of a spring or something. Um, so now what you do is you start jumping by pressing the jump button. And then when you slide your thumb over to so the just, region mm-hmm. that has the grappler on it, then as soon as your thumb enters that, we basically 
keep recording that you're holding the jump button because you haven't released your thumb yet. Mm -hmm. But when your thumb first enters the grapple grapple area, we count that as a as a click, mm -hmm. basically. Um, so we kind of force the device to interpret your thumb inputs differently, basically the way they would be interpreted if you were using a handheld controller, right? right? So, so what this allows us to do then is actually do those combos. Yeah. Right? So now we have all, we have all the same kind of precision controls on mobile as we have on a controller. Yeah, and actually the game plays so good on it that uh, I actually, I actually think playing with a keyboard is actually way worse than playing. Yeah, my, on actually, mobile my, now. actually my my hierarchy now is uh, keyboard and mouse at the bottom, mm -hmm. handheld controller, and then the mobile controls the most precise for yeah. me because actually once you have a, a good control system then mobile has the advantage of having no time to press. Right. The instant your thumb touches that spot, the action occurs, which means you can do much more precise maneuvers, whereas with a controller or a keyboard, you have to press, the button. Lag, yeah. you have to press the button down and give it some pressure. Um, so I found that I've actually been setting all kinds of records on the levels we've built on mobile that I actually can't do mm -hmm. on desktop, yeah. which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what I'm curious to see is what the response is. It's just that learning window question. Because a learning window, we have to teach people how this works. Yeah, and then, because like, but once this becomes a, if this, if this becomes a convention, like if other developers see that we've done this, because uh, there's a general idea, and like there's a reason we got this question to begin with. Yeah. You know, there's a general idea that mobile just can't control as well. It's not true. It's just harder than shit to figure out how to make it. Yeah. Do because so. what you do, you got to design a controller. Yeah. And a game, not design a game for a controller. Right. right? And most developers, are only thinking about the mobile screen as a traditional controller. Mm -hmm. They put buttons on it. They put a joystick on it, right? Yep. The only problem I've had with, uh, frankly, with playing on mobile is just the fact that because most of the phones now just don't have any buttons at all, and if you get, like, to the edges or something, <laughs> then, then you hit like, the back button. Yeah, or so that's the only thing that's happened where it's just been pissing me off. But in that case, we have – we made it so you can just move them around. Yeah. So if you want to put it – you know, if you want to move them in a little bit so you have more room to not hit your thumbs on whatever those sort of sensitive areas on the phone are, then you just don't have to worry about it. Yep. Which is nice. So we're pretty excited about it. I my hope is that we get this out, and then all of a sudden, because like I remember reading about mm -hmm. Super Meat Boy, yeah, and, they, and, the, and Team Meat was like, we're not putting Super Meat Boy on mobile because you can't make a good platformer on mobile. And I think I honestly think we're gonna Just you wait, we're gonna blow the lid off of this yep. so fucking hard. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, because yeah, I, I now I just I prefer to play level head on my phone, mm -hmm. which is hilarious. So yeah, yeah, yeah what it is. We'll you know? see. Never say never. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question comes from Tor Tales. Are you using any techniques or making a conscious effort to be funny on the podcast? And have you <laughs> researched or practiced improv or comedy? Mm. So do you, I guess we'll take the first part first. Do you use any active techniques while we're in here? Are not that like not different than normal. Yeah, I think that's. I it. generally make an effort to be funny, just kind of mm -hmm. in life. I'm just trying to entertain myself most of the time, which yeah. I think is the first. Like, if you just do stuff to crack yourself up, that's sort of where you need to live. Yeah. Well, I think though, what you often find is that people people tend to think that uh, that those who make a lot of jokes and like who go into comedy or whatever, oftentimes developed a, a strong sense of humor as a socially adaptive defense mechanism, mm -hmm. right? So people who were at otherwise some kind of a disadvantage growing up could found that they could tell jokes and win people's favor, mm -hmm. right? Right. And so in my case, uh, I, I was real small. Yeah. And, like I was 90 pounds coming into high school. Um, I was just a real tiny guy. Mm -hmm. And 
that meant that even though I was I was friends with a lot of the you know the the folks who were like playing football the like the and, athletes yeah. and stuff I also couldn't really operate on the same sort of li- a literal playing field as them <laughs> and so uh so I needed a, to have a way for them to kind of tolerate my presence mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like well he's very small we could kill him whenever we want we, we could crush him into a fine pace but he's a little funny he's got some good jokes <laughs> yeah um yeah and so so that was kind of I, I discovered that, you know, if I just – if I made friends with everybody and made them laugh all the time, then my life was way easier. Yeah. So so I just did that. That mm-hmm. was just kind of how I grew up. And now I'm not tiny anymore, but – Still funny. I still, I still try to make people laugh when I yeah. can. Yeah. So I think – I mean I had a similar situation, but it was actually from being the youngest of two older brothers because you're in that yeah. – I was in that situation just perpetually until you guys left right. the house. Because <laughs> uh, no matter how big you got, you, just you were still smaller. smaller. Yeah. <laughs> You're four years, three or four years older than me. So, um, so I think that's that's where that sort of uh, and they, they've done actually plenty of psych studies on this, which is they've shown that people who are younger siblings develop what's called theory of mind, which is understanding what someone else is thinking about by by sort of because you have to because you have to earlier because you navigate because basically you are living in a house with giant sociopaths, yeah, who will kill you. So you got you got to know you got to know is this going to cause a problem for me? Yeah, because yeah. children and children and Teenagers have a loose, jiggly moral compass <laughs> that doesn't always point to true north. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I think that that was a big part of it. I think it's a good point as far as your your growing up circumstances. I think shape some of this early stuff. But if it's the case that you find yourself, maybe you're not particularly funny, or maybe people don't find you like really fun to be around or super entertaining. Uh, this latter point of the question is perfect, which is essentially: Can you get it? Can you go get it? Can you get the ability to like make people giggle about stuff or just to be fun to be around? Um, I, think, I think you can learn anything. You 100% but can. But you got to really dedicate. I mean, it's something that my my wife always talks about how she – she's kind of sad that she doesn't have a sense of humor. Mm. And I'm like, you didn't need one. You yeah. know, she's six foot one and she's been playing tennis her whole yeah. life. And like she always – she always had these these like things that she could do that everybody just immediately kind of handed her like, damn, she's real tall and strong and powerful and really <laughs> right. fucking good at tennis. Uh-huh. She's going to go places, right? Um, but so, yeah, something about being like just kind of physically weak and small means you just have to compensate really hard. <laughs> right. But know? I think the, the latter part of this question is like, do you, have you taken or is there any improv sort of stuff in here? And I think the answer is yes. So – I think I mentioned this book, Improv Wisdom, which I had read uh, maybe a month or two ago and realized that most of the stuff that we do just to operate in the studio context is just that all those principles sort of applied to making video games. And so I, I really do think it's the case, like if, if it's the case that you want to get more social or more sociable in that same sort of way, taking the improv class is honestly like just the best thing you can do because because it actually has sort of theories of how to do this that aren't like weird and and uh, super uncomfortable to try to practice because everyone is there practicing it. It's like everybody's bad. Yeah, everyone's bad. It's like <laughs> you just show up and you just you learn how to be open. And I think that's a big part of it. Well, and you also hear from stand up comedians and stuff how they're like, yeah, you know, the way you learn how to do stand up comedy is you go and you bomb. Yeah. For like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> you just go tell terrible joke after terrible joke yeah. to a room of crickets, you know, and it's just, it's just brutal. Yeah. And, and then you start to see what lands and what doesn't and you refine it and refine it. And but even so, you still miss a lot, right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, even, well, even, we, even really great comedians will go and they'll perform at a, and like maybe a certain crowd just isn't feeling it that bad, yeah. you know? Like maybe this comedian is a, is a millionaire and they've had like sp- stand-up specials mm-hmm. on Netflix and stuff 
And then they go to some city and like, hey, what's up? And everybody's like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, so right. I'm just here to have a bad time. <laughs> tough crowd. Tough crowd. <laughs> yeah. So th- a big part of it is just not actually getting uh, – to me is is not when – you, when you have a joke that just fails super hard, which all of us have had, especially – I mean if you listen to the podcast, there's been plenty of times where someone makes a joke and it just doesn't – clearly they thought it was going to be funny, but it doesn't it quite doesn't do go. anything. Or no I one found that I found that it helps to laugh at your own jokes. It does. Because you, know, you, you provide a laugh track. Yeah. You're like, hey, I made a joke. I'm laughing now. It's okay to yep. chuckle. Uh-huh. I'm pr- I'm giving you social permission. Yeah, provide your laugh track. But don't laugh super hard and long. You got to give yourself weird. a sensible chuckle. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think if you start off with entertaining yourself, uh, that's always a really good place. Don't be scared if you start sort of messing stuff up. And then just keep on keeping on. And then, yeah, take an improv class. Honestly, it's one of the best things you can do just for being yeah. sociable. And I think the key to a lot of these things is is trying not – when you, whenever you're entering a social interaction with somebody, not coming into it in an antagonistic way and not trying to, like, prove anybody wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and basically just, like, hear people out. So when somebody has an idea, just explore it with them. You know, like this is what improv is all about. Yeah. It's like some, somebody will come in and – and they'll maybe like start miming that they're sweeping, like mm-hmm. sweeping with a broom or something. And instead of coming into the scene and then like trying to change what the scene is, right. you look at what they're doing. They're sweeping and you're like, they must be cleaning or something. And who then would clean? Who would be cleaning? Mm-hmm. Is there something funny that they could be that they could be sweeping mm-hmm. that they may not have thought of that I can like throw in a joke about? Or even right? something where you could twist it where there's, the motion still works perfectly. So you're like, why are you playing with that shake weight again? Yeah. You know, or something like that, yeah. where it's like you take it and then they're surprised, but then they have to roll. And they it can too. they can kind of adapt, but you're not you're not sort of like you're not trying to deny what it is that they're doing. Yeah. So right? the, the principal rule of improv is yes and. Yeah. Which if you notice, I think there's there's very only very few times ever on the show where someone starts going down some really weird path and somebody else just says, We're not talking about yeah, this. So it's like that, unless, <laughs> unless it's like just a strangely sensitive subject or something. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a really Just let people explore ideas and go on those journeys with them, mm-hmm. you know, and people will appreciate it. And if you can squeeze in some jokes along the way, that's, that's all good. That's all good. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Anonymous. Hello, Brothers Coster. I have heard you say that most of your animation is done via code. What is your process behind determining if something should be handled by code or good old frame-by-frame animation? Your games look so damn good for being so few frames. Mm, thanks. Well, Levelhead has a lot of frames now. A lot. And there's a big reason for this. So I think that's kind of the first thing to hit, which is what's the benefit of frame by frame versus swinging limbs around with code? So I'll give the example. Flux in Crashlands is actually just six pieces. And no frames. And no frames. And then they're just anchored together. And then they spin around, do various things at various times. So when she chops... Her arm just follows the calculation to swing itself around her shoulder. Flex says, am I chopping now? And if so, I'm going to windmill. How far How far <laughs> along am I in this chop? And mm-hmm. then her arm just goes there. Yep. <laughs> so uh, that's – spine is a tool that does this too. Uh, a, yeah. Uh, what do they call that? Skeletal animation. Skeletal animation. Yeah. So skeletal animation is the same thing as this – General concept. Yeah, we just use a code skeleton instead of a real one. Because yes. in real skeletal animation, you gotta you gotta get real bones you in there. You gotta put bones in there. Who wants to do it? Yeah, yeah it's very it. gruesome. So I think the big question is why? So why do we decide to go with that route versus frame by frame? Yeah. And so it largely came down to our animator was going through some health issues. I didn't have a lot of time. Didn't have hands. a lot of time. 
but I have time, mm-hmm. so I can animate with code. That's true, but there's also a really other a big consideration, which is early on we said we want to have a lot of armor in this game. Yes. And now here's the wrinkle. If you do hand-by-hand or hand-frame animation and you have armor sets that are visible, now every time, maybe if there's four different gloves, you got to redraw that hand swinging around with all four different gloves on. And so you look at the situation where you're like, okay, we can either have a lot of content here or some nice arm swinging. So if you look at a game like Diablo 2, mm-hmm. what you will see is they made 3D models of the character and then they put the they put they made a 3D model of the armor, they put it on the character, they take screenshots at all the different mm-hmm. rotations. Yes, yeah, so it's pre-rendered. Pre-rendered, yeah. So so even in that case where it's 2D images with a character that is, you know, using frame by frame animation, um, they still had to take snapshots of the armor in every single position mm-hmm. that the character could be in right. for every single armor piece. So that's a huge design consideration, which is what, how much customization is going to happen on the character? Because basically the more you're going to have, the more likely you're going to want something closer to skeletal or something like that. Um, or you just say, you know what, there's a lot of customization going on, but it's under the clothes things. There's just, you're not going to get to see the, the sort of right. so you're gonna be helmet wearing, on the head. This, this is kind of the thing that I'm actually doing in uh, in that space game I'm working on on the stream mm-hmm. is you're going to be able to plug modules into your spaceship. Perfect. You're not going to see them. No. You're not going to see shit. No. You just put it in there. They're small. It's yeah. there now. Yeah. So that's like the whole, that's like the rings idea, right? <laughs> yes. So, you wear an amulet and some rings and mm-hmm. you have small powers. You, you never see, see them. them. Yeah. So there's that big consideration. And then the other one is actually the difference between uh, CPU usage and RAM usage, which I think Seth, you could speak to as far as this is sort of the yeah. the age old dilemma. Yeah. So it's incredibly rare that you can add a feature to your game and not use resources. Yeah. Right? So like, <laughs> like the computer has to do it. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want it to do, you, the computer has to use some of its power. So let's say let's say we want to add rain. Let's say we want to add some weather. To right. like maybe crash lands or something. Right. So if we want to add rain. There's a couple ways to do it, right? right? So one way is we could say we don't want to use any texture space. Which is which would be taking up RAM, which is the memory of the computer. Right. So that's like, yeah, it needs to just like have a big image sort of stored in memory that we would then draw onto the screen. So we could like draw one big image of like a whole bunch of raindrops, maybe draw that image twice and kind of mm-hmm. like pass it in front uh, at different speeds to create like a rain illusion, mm-hmm. right? So that way we would cut down on the CPU and really ramp up the storage. We have to store this giant image. Mm -hmm. The alternative is to do something like particles Mm -hmm. where we spawn maybe like 500 raindrop particles and and shoot them across the screen, screen, which you're going to get a much smoother effect because Mm -hmm. you can have the particles moving at different speeds and stuff like that. And you can maybe even have them like animated a little bit, like maybe the wiggle or, Mm -hmm. you know, like kind of wobble like a raindrop or something but that's going to be more intense on the gpu and it's gonna be more intense on the on the cpu so like Mm -hmm. basically both of your processors uh, are going to be more overloaded rendering 500 things instead of one thing right Right. so you always have to kind of make that that trade-off so when it comes to the animation if you're doing frame by frame piece of cake you're just like put it in memory i already drew it Uh, there's just one picture so computer Mm -hmm. show me that picture and it's like here you go if you want to do something like we have in Crashlands, uh, so f- as Sam said, Flux is six pieces, and that's if she has no armor or weapons, yeah. right? So that's already six things that the computer has to draw, know the location has of. Has to know the location and the orientation mm-hmm. of relative to each other, and then do a bunch of math to say like, for example, 
Flux's right shoulder is always like 18 pixels, 45 degrees from her mm-hmm. middle torso. So wherever her middle torso is, we do the math and then figure out where her every arm Every single frame. Every single time because she's moving around all the time, right? And so then if we want to do armor, then we have six, two more, glo- pieces. Yeah, six yep. more pieces, two gloves, helmet, chest, and two pants, boots, whatever. Mm-hmm. So now we have 12, we call them draw calls, right? 12 mm-hmm. draw calls happening. And then you've also got a weapon, mm-hmm. right? Except the weapon is on is in your hand, right? And the weapon has to be depth sorted in a certain way so that like – So it actually looks like it's in your hand as opposed to just like, like right. a bracelet. And so the way we actually saw it was a crash lance. This Flux is – weapon arm is actually detached from her body and it's a separate object <laughs> that follows her around. <laughs> Which I can't remember if we had any bugs with as far as there's like, there's like one bug where if you you'll notice it if you pick up the wings, the wings power up. Mm-hmm. Uh you'll see the wing that is on flux if you're facing so that your weapon is in your back arm away from the camera, you'll see the wing pass between your shoulder and your body, <laughs> right? Because your arm is actually not part of your body. It's floating mm-hmm. alongside you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, which, not, that's not lore canon. That's just uh, Yeah, and, and we, did this, we did this so that we could add animations to the weapons and stuff uh, so that they could be sort of self-managed. Right. But then you can't have a floating weapon uh, that is in her hand because her, if her hand is part of her body, then they're all on the same depth and then the weapon would be mm-hmm. behind. So the weapon chases the player around and the weapon draws Flux's arm. <laughs> on itself <laughs> so, so it's all super weird but again yeah. like all this is done with the processor the processor is just is following instructions that we give it and it's doing all these mathematical yeah. so the basic question is what does that end up meaning at the end of the day and that means that so you can't have too many of those that level of complexity that on much screen yeah once. that much cpu really starts to yeah especially on mobile down. right yeah. and the thing is like we as again as a, as a mobile studio sort of in origin and then now being cross-platform we do we we have to be very well aware of who where, where our resources are going because limited resources on mobile in particular with CPU and with RAM usage is pretty tight. So the level level head is definitely going to be pushing both of those. Yes, like you're you're, you're not going to have an easy as easy of a time running level head on an older phone. Yes, yeah. Crescens is able to work on basically everything, but I think level head will require something relatively new, like the last couple newer. Of years. Yeah. yeah. I think if you probably have like a, maybe like a Galaxy S6 or higher, mm-hmm. you'll probably be fine. It'll be fine, yeah. Um, but still, people could still make some zany levels that have a bajillion things in them mm-hmm. possibly, and then your game will Explore. run like a potato. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it really just depends on what our our resource needs are. And then what the design needs are. Yeah. Because in the, the thing with Levelhead is uh, all the different power-ups you see are f- completely different sprite sheets now. So – GR18 little character by himself has like a hundred and something frames. About 150, I think. Right. But it's actually just the same set of movements duplicated five times per. For the different power-ups. Yeah, the different power-ups. Which is funny because when you see it as a player, you don't think about it. Like you think of, oh, you no. think of GR18, you think of, you see the character running around and you think of that as one thing. Mm-hmm. Right, so if you're like, oh, I want to add, a, I want to add a character to my game, you'd think like that's just a that's just a thing that I need to do, not 150 things. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's really weird how your mind kind of co- like categorizes and conceptualizes what would need to happen to get mm-hmm. a character into the game, but it's very involved. Uh, all right, next question comes from Zacy Zacy. Seth, Sam, do you guys use many shaders in your games? Mm. We for the actually for the exact reason we just talked about, we have never used shaders. Well, we we only use a shader for flashing things white, right. like when they take damage and stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Um, which which is, is a very simple one. It's very simple. All it does is it just says, if this is not invisible, turn it white. Yep. Right. Because you'll have because like, <laughs> the characters you see are actually like the images you see are PNG images that have transparency mm-hmm. so that they look like they're standing in the world and stuff. Yep. So any non-transparent pixel turns it white. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's and this has shader. been a thing we, we've explored it a few times. I think Adam wrote a hologram shader that. We do have that Does in Crash still work? Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it sometimes s- works on devices. Yeah, you can see every so often someone will post a screenshot and it's like uh, you'll see a hologram of – you can find these holograms all around the world and uh, it might be like Hugo in the hologram and then it might just be like a pink block behind him. That's when the shader's not working. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's all very sort of like GPU intensive. Yeah, so the more – the basic way the shader works for those who aren't familiar is all it says is every single pixel on the screen it's going to do a particular uh, operation on. So, or in a particular object. So in in the case of the creatures, you say, okay, every single pixel that exists in this image, um, check to see if it's invisible or not. And if it's visible, then turn it white so that we have this white flash happen. Uh, That's all a shader is, but you can get real fancy with it. And that's how a lot of the really beautiful, extra cool like graphics. And even those, you see an explosion and then you see like a ripple happen. In on that's the screen, usually a shader. It's yeah. a shader. So there's there's a lot of stuff that we've wanted to do with it, but again, because yeah, of, sh- shaders can also move pixels. So you yes. can say like, for example, instead of saying, "Oh, check the color of this pixel," and then switch it to a different color, you can also do something like you can say, "Hey, where this pixel is, instead look, you know, thirty pixels to the left, mm-hmm. to, and show that pixel here." So then you can do yeah these ripple effects or you like do distort water things. Even you yeah. get water with reflections. Yeah, if you ever see water reflections, it's usually a shader. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do with shaders, but again, I think we're like, we're, I feel like we're just reaching a point where, so phones are now sort of, sort of having the power that computers had in like 2003. It's like a PlayStation two basically. Yeah. Currently. Yeah. And so even at that time, you know, computers just didn't have a a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the games that you saw, they didn't have very good anti-aliasing. Their Mm -hmm. texture pages were very small. So you saw like kind of blurry-ish textures, very low poly stuff. And you're you're seeing that with mobile, but it's also the case that you're starting to also see some of the better looking games like Fortnite and stuff where they'll put their game out and people can either play it or they can't, you know? Um, And so we may have to kind of take that position with level head. We're like, there's going to be some, it's not like crashing. There's going to be some devices that it's just going to be a lot harder to run it yeah. on. So, uh, all right. Next question comes from magical Merlin five. Mm. Hello, brothers of butter scotchiness. I have worked with game maker before and I found it really clunky. How did you geniuses take something lame like Game Maker and create something beautiful like Crashlands? All right, you tools hater. Listen, back up. Listen, back it up. Merlin. I need to go. I need, to, go I need to pull from the matrix. Okay. It's not the spoon that bends. It's only yourself. Okay. Mm. So if you're finding Game Maker clunky, it's probably because you are using it in a clunky way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm going to assume that you're a programmer because any programmer I've talked to who learned how to code first and then came into Game Maker, they start pulling their hair out because they refuse to adapt to what the tool does. Mm-hmm. And they're so mad about all the things that it's doing that are different from what they've experienced that they can't quite get over the hump of sort of like rolling with what game maker wants you to do. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think maybe just spend some, just spend some time with it. Maybe come to our stream, uh, twitch.tv slash bscotch Saturday mornings. You can kind of see just how, how we do. Well, I think there's an important note there, which basically what you're saying is that if you're, if you're coming into it with a preconceived notion of how it needs to run, 
you're wrong. Can you, well, yeah, and yeah. you're just going to have a bad time. And that's actually, I mean, that, that that is just true and applicable basically in every single place of your life. Yeah. So, you know, if if uh, in the art realm, for example, if someone who has only done painting before comes in and tries to do vector and for some reason expects it to behave as paint does, where it's easy to blend things, it's easy to create gradients and textures and stuff, you're going to have a really bad time. Yeah, go because, back to painting because that's – Yeah. Then that'll do what you expect, right? <laughs> so I think that's a, a big point, which is just uh, when you're working with a new tool or trying something out, try to really approach it with that with that question of, okay, what – what is this really good at? Like, what's this medium good for? Yeah, don't say, don't say, what do I want this to do and how do I want it to do it? Just say, how does this thing work? Mm-hmm. And then how do I use that? Yeah. Like, how do I, how do I take advantage of, of its strengths? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously Game Maker is going to be very weak for certain things. If you want to do 3D, that's going to be pretty tough. Yeah. Um, and it also has very specific frameworks with how it handles global variables or like specific methods for objects and stuff that are going to be very different from what you're accustomed to mm-hmm. as a programmer. Um, but that's not there's there's no need to moralize it. Yes, it's not a point. good or a bad thing. It just is what it, it is, is. And then thing. you need to decide how am I going to react to this? Like what? Mm-hmm. How can I take advantage of what this thing is doing? Yeah, to to get the job done. Because we also know there's there's a lot of power in just recognizing whatever the constraints of the medium are and then rolling with it. So like, we can make games really, really fast, just stupidly fast. And it's because of Game Maker to a large degree and then yeah. all of our history with it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd say just, just keep in mind that yeah, don't, don't over-moralize the things in your life that are maybe a little annoying to get into. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to do. You just got to learn yeah. it. Just learn the tool. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing magical about the way that we use it either. We just do what it – what it We just backflip into our pants one leg at a time. We just you know? do what it asks <laughs> us to do. We just ask our attendants to bring our pants. We mm-hmm. backflip into them. Move on. And then we work in Game Maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Map5597. What is the mystical substance known as juice? In space, it's a blobby thing. And on Wonope's surface, it's a crystal. Do the crystals serve as salt licks for wampets? What happens <laughs> if the juice is ingested? Is it known to the state of California to cause problems? <laughs> How is energy extracted from juice? Okay, so I'd say for starters, everything I've bought in the past like year has a sticker on it saying that it has co- chemical compounds known in the state of California to cause cancer. Mm-hmm. I'm becoming either concerned that I'm definitely going to get cancer from mm-hmm. all these things or that California might have a sticker flown problem. off the rail. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I got, I got, we got a, a new electric piano mm-hmm. and the bench, the piano bench has a sticker on the bottom saying that like, so there, there's some kind of uh, varnish or something. There's some kind of like fireproofing mm. like thing that people put on stuff. And they just said that, you know, it, it has this fireproofing thing on it that's known to cause cancer. But based on what I understand about how people gauge what is known to cause cancer, for example, the there was bacon thing. Yeah, yeah, there was that study where they're like bacon increases your risk of cancer mm-hmm. uh, by three percent or two percent right. or something like that. And everything about this study is bunk. And also, the outcome is so negligible that you can't even really say whether it's mm-hmm. real or not. But I can almost guarantee that pretty soon in California, there's going to be a sticker on the bacon, on the bacon being like, warning, <laughs> bacon is known to cause cancer. Everything causes cancer. Get, going outside gives you skin cancer. I mean, Jesus, you know? We've got to put a sticker on the sun. <laughs> Somebody get up there. Get Elon Musk We need on. a real good ladder. <laughs> warning, this star contains materials yep. known 
in the state of California. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out being alive just makes you die. That's just sort of how. It's the easiest way to die. Mm-hmm. And fastest. Maybe I need a sticker. Everybody needs a sticker on it. Warning. Him. Being I, alive. Warning, I'm probably going to die <laughs> at some point. Yeah, what was the question? Okay, uh, how's juice What's work? juice? Yeah, so. Well, I'm going to talk about the physics. Okay. So for starters, when it's in space, um, it sublimates into a gas. I mean, we can I all mean, naturally. assume that. Uh, on, on the surface of the planet or, you know, in an atmosphere, because of the pressure and because of the temperature and everything else, uh, you know, it kind of condenses down into mm-hmm. a solid. Into a solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and under extremely high pressures, probably a liquid. I would just guess if we hit all three of those states, yeah. you know. At some point. There's probably juice pools somewhere. Probably deep in ocean vents, maybe. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But yeah, so I think the, the big question is why, what did, we, what did we try to get out of having juice? And we were basically just very jealous of two IPs. One was Harry Potter and the other one was Star Wars. Because Harry Potter, you just wave a stick around and then say some words, magic happens. You, got, right? you can do anything now. Yeah. People and can fly on broomsticks. People can make light happen. Mm-hmm. And they, they basically have this super light actual structure for how this works. Like that is basically how it works is you say some words, wiggle your stick around, and then magic happens. And also somehow you are magic. Yes. You got right? it. So like there's, there's muggles. Who can't say. They literally – like they could say whatever the hell they want mm-hmm. and nothing happens. Right. And then there's wizards who – Are somehow attuned to whatever this is. Right. And then they pick up a stick – Mm-hmm. And they kind of focus their magical juices mm-hmm. into the stick and then shoot horses out the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe that's how it gets. <laughs> uh, Patronus! Yeah. yeah. So uh, so there's that. And then the other one was Star Wars because the Force is actually such a convenient and wonderful thing. Because it works very much like Harry Potter's magic, right? You have to be a person who's attuned to it in order to like make use of it. But if you can, then you can do things like leap super far or know what people are going to say or hold your breath for 30 minutes or shoot lightning out of your fingertips (laughs) all these things completely arbitrary right someone was just like wouldn't it be cool if we shot lightning so we needed we needed this sort of generic thing that we could tap into to basically allow us to do whatever we wanted on the fantastic there's there's a question that's never really addressed in star wars Hmm. which is they talk about how the force flows through all living things Mm -hmm. right and what you never see is like a lizard that can just. use the force. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you never see just an animal walking around and all of a sudden it like levitates another animal into its mouth. Frankly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that would be absolutely horrifying. Can you think of like a, like an apex predator that just used the also force? Also used the force? I bet there well, are Well, that's some, what people are, right? People are apex true. predators yeah. that use the force. But I, be, I bet in some of their actual like deeper fiction stuff, there's, there's got to be There's like a Jedi sort of brontosaurus mm-hmm. thing. Just absorbing trees. <laughs> like, Give them all to me. Yeah. So I, I bet that's a thing. But yeah, so we wanted yeah. to, we basically needed a medium that would allow us to, you know, have people wiggle sticks around and make We needed happen. something that we could use as a hand wavy plot device mm-hmm. to do just cool stuff. So, so, like, so, like, for example, how is it that Flux's uh, suit is an Infina suit that lasts forever? Mm-hmm. And how is it that Juicebox never runs out of batteries? Uh, well, he's full of juice. Yeah. And suit so, powered flux, by juice. Yeah, it's flux basically, is powered by juice. It's like the Tesseract situation. Yeah. From, it's uh, this sort of infinite energy source that is very easily, it's mm-hmm. all over the place on Wonope, which also explains all kinds of things about Wonope. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the other sort of deeper lore we have with it is that some somehow, uh, if you're exposed to juice over like a long period of time, it'll promote certain things happening, like sentience or 
other weird stuff, which is why Wonop has so many alien races, alien races that, are all, that have civilizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of the vibranium. It is, 100%. You can use it to solve any plot it's problem. The force, <laughs> yeah, the force, the vibranium, the wizardry school of magic. That's yeah. our It's our device for that. Yeah, and then we also have the power crystals. Yes. Which were in towel fight. Mm-hmm. And it's not yet clear what those are. Are they like infinity stones? Are I, they? <laughs> I, I, maybe. Maybe that was what Hardik was trying to do, was collect all of them and then snap half of the world out of existence. Who knows? I, I certainly don't you know. know. Yeah, I, I think this this is something that I – yeah, we noticed with all these different lore universes that that – they all had these sort of deus ex machina, like, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever we need to do, we'll just throw the force at it. Yep. And then you're good, right? Or you'd you, be like, oh, he's struggling really hard, but he can't, he doesn't have enough force to do the thing. Right. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah, you, you can't see it. You don't know. It's not like a, a muscly person where you're like, okay, yeah, obviously they're not Look strong. Look how strong they're not. Yeah. So it's sort of detached from the physical state, but also a convenient plot device whenever you're like, oh, you need, we need more juice was also something. That just seemed like it'd be fun to be able yeah, to Yeah, well, and also by having by having it be a thing that's sort of exclusively controlled or possessed by certain people, then you've got things like, you know, like Voldemort. Like, he's so strong. He's, he's, so, he's so juicy. He's got so much magic <laughs> in his body or whatever. And then it, then you, then you, it allows you to do things like, oh, he got killed, but did he, though? Because he's so magical mm-hmm. that he can come back. Uh, and then you have things like in Star Wars, you know, you've got – the scene from the the like the first I guess episode seven now I don't even know the first of the new tr- trilogy uh-huh. the uh, new old one the new new one okay just go whatever the, 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 the one that came out in twenty fifteen I don't know why they started in the middle with it's that very whole hard thing. yeah to parse <laughs> so this is episode seven uh so then like Ray gets captured she's being interrogated mm-hmm. by Kylo Ren so it's like all right first thing. Kylo Ren, he has to interrogate her because mm-hmm. he uses the force and nobody else can, uh-huh. right? So she – and she is a force attuned. Mm-hmm. So some regular ass stormtrooper can't come in there and do it. Mm-hmm. It's got to be Kylo Ren, yep. right? So boom, you've got a plot device that now he brings has – Brings these people together. Brings them together. Where normally if you were like a high-ranking sort of super badass lieutenant, you'd, you'd be like, like, interrogate her. Yeah. I've got shit to do. I guess. <laughs> but you have to go do but it. You have to do it because you have the force, mm-hmm. right? And then because she has the force, then as soon as he leaves, she can use the force to escape. Mm-hmm. How does she do it? She mind controls – uh, uh, one of the guards, mm-hmm. he lets her out. And then she also uses the force in various ways to sort of like climb out and orchestrate her getaway, mm-hmm. right? It's just kind of in- anything that she needed to do to escape, they were just like, oh, the force. Yeah, except for- The force helped with that. Oftentimes, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you have to be very careful with the usage of it because otherwise it's like, well, why didn't they, why didn't they just throw an entire truck at that guy and, you know, or take care of this problem using this incredible power they have? So that's where the whole like, oh, he's really fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> he's all forced out, you know? He's forced. He needs to drink more force juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? So it's, it's where we came up with juices because it just seemed like a funny thing to be able to say at some point in the future with one of our games where it's like, oh, you're you're out of juice. Be like, you don't you got to wait for it to refill. It's like mana, right? Yeah. You got to wait for it to refill from the, I don't know. Yeah. And, and then in, uh, so in level head, we're, we're pulling in the juice concept. Mm-hmm. Where you're not picking up coins, you're picking up gems, mm-hmm. which is spelled J-E-M, which is crystallized juice, mm-hmm. essentially. Because um, you're being trained to sort of seek out juice because mm-hmm. it's valuable. 
Um, and then we also talk about like the packages are sort of powered by juice, which makes them, that's why they're so hard to crack. Yeah. Like that's, that's their security mechanism. Which is hilarious. Cause if you're like, okay, so we have this, we have this box and it's powered by plutonium. And, and you'd be like, oh shit, I can't get into that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well how, does that, how does that, it doesn't necessarily follow. It, it's just a battery. It's, this is it. the, I need to make some copies. Thing. Like you <laughs> yeah. just need to give people a reason. And then they're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's powered by juice. Obviously, it's very high tech, mm-hmm. very hard mm-hmm. to get into. Um, it's like how in Black Panther where they're like, we have this vibranium. It's like this crazy. It's just metal. It's like just hard it's metal. It's really hard metal. And then they're like, because of it, we have, we have the most technologically advanced civilization. And it's in, in the moment, you're like, yeah, makes perfect sense. But if you think about it a little bit, you're like, they just have really hard metal. Yeah. And they never explain. The, and they're like, oh, yeah, look at his crazy Badass suit. It's made of nanites that are vibranium. <laughs> what the hell? Like, okay, could, could you couldn't you have done that with any metal? Uh-huh. What what is it about? The, and also, you would think that if the the property of vibranium is it's real hard. Yeah, that's so far. That's literally all they've disclosed about what it does. I think that's true, right? Right. It's yeah. real hard. Captain America's shield is made of it, mm-hmm. and that's why but it's it also, so good. It clearly, is magic because. He's able to control that shield in strange like ways. Like Voldemort. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it becomes these – like you – I think having a universe where you have one of these devices, it, it becomes really fun because you just get to do literally whatever you want. And then if people are like, hey, you just point Actually, no, I think I think part of Vibranium too is that it like somehow cancels vibrations or something. Right? Is that why it's called that? I think it was like if you get shot with a bullet and like you don't feel it because it's like meh, oh. something. I don't know. I'm sure we'll get some we'll get some Marvel lore folks in mm-hmm. here telling us what's what. Uh, but point being, it's just a magic elixir. It's, it's a snake beautiful. oil that solves all plot mm-hmm. problems. So it's good to have those. Yeah. If you're trying to create a universe, if you're trying to like write a novel or whatever, you need an out. Sprinkle some of those in there, <laughs> and you can write any story, any story you want. All right, well, that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server over at discord.gg slash bscotch and come say hello. Also, if you'd like to cover your body with Butterscotch swag, check out our shop over at shop.bscotch.net. Also, if you'd like to send us something, we do have a mailbox, which you can find the address for over at mailbox.bscotch.net. Last but not least, if you would like to... Uh, buy us a cup of coffee as a, as a sort of a donation to help support the podcast or as a thank you for uh, all the random crap that we're doing, mm-hmm. talks and stuff. Uh, we appreciate that a lot. And that is over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.